So I want to begin this message by just asking a quick question. How many of you are looking forward to walking through the doors of your church building again? How many of you are looking forward to being back in worship with your fellow Christians, uh, being back in the sanctuary or in the worship center or wherever you gather and singing those songs together and seeing each other face to face? How, how many of you would say that that's me? I'll be honest, I'll raise my hand. I'm looking forward to the day when we can be back together again. And as we as a church are thinking about opening our doors once more, I came across an interview that really caused me to pause and, and really think deeply about what that means to be open. It was an interview between the president of the Barna Research Group, David Kinneman, and, an, and a reporter for NPR. And the reporter was asking him about the state of churches, American churches, during this crazy pandemic season. And David shared a pretty startling statistic. He said, if our research uh, proves to be true, and, and I think it will, over the next 18 months, one in five American churches will never again open their doors. Think about that for a second. One in five congregations will never walk through the doors of their building again because they can't financially sustain their ministry anymore. And as the interviewer listens to David offer those statistics, they said, so what, what lessons can American churches learn in the midst of this? And he said, well, I think what's catching many of these churches by surprise is first and foremost that the relationships that they thought they had with their congregants aren't as deep as they once believed. And so I believe that honestly, there's, there's three things that churches can do. He said the first is they need to deepen relationships, deepen relationships with one another and to deepen relationships with their surrounding community. The second thing is that they need to embrace change. The reality is, is that church is going to look different moving forward, that even when we go back inside, some people aren't going to be comfortable coming back indoors. And so embracing things like online church and digital small groups, he says, needs to be an important consideration. But the third thing that churches really need to consider is they need to realize that they need to bring tangible transformation, not just to the lives of their congregation members, but to the communities that they're a part of. And as he was saying those three things, I was like, this is great because that's actually what this series is all about, is really examining ourselves and saying, well, what does it mean for us not just to open our doors, but to open our hearts, to be a people who bring transformation? And so over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to be asking some big questions. Our first big question is this, are we open or are we closed? Not just are our buildings open and closed, but we as people, are we open or are we closed as we live out our mission? Second question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we spiritual consumers or spiritual contributors? And the last question we're going to be asking ourselves is, are we just going on defensive? Are we just looking to get back to what once was? Or are we going to go on the offensive for the kingdom of God, bringing tangible kinds of transformation into the lives of the people around us and into the communities that we serve? So this week, we're kicking it off by asking that question, am I open or am I closed? And I think it's only right that before we look at scripture together, we allow God to open our hearts and our minds to the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that through the wonders of technology, you have indeed gathered us together across the Chicagoland area, across our country, in a time in which we can really reflect on your word together. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you have for us. 
And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 15. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 15, I kind of want to set the stage for you, set the scene a little bit. You see, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus told his apostles that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And what we've seen in the book of Acts up to that point is that that mission has been moving forward, that they started in Jerusalem on Pentecost, but since then they've spread out and they've taken their message to the rest of Judea and Samaria. And at this point in the story, they've actually gone beyond Judea out into the rest of the Roman world. And something has started to surprise them. What they found is that not just Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, but even Gentile people are now starting to worship Jesus as Lord. And this kind of surprised them because up until this time, Christianity had really been a movement within Judaism. And so the question was, well, how about these other people, people who are coming from pagan backgrounds, people who are coming from other cultural backgrounds, what about them? What does it mean for them to be a part of our community? Basically, they were faced with the question of, are we open or are we closed? And this was a huge debate because there were some people who were saying, no, if they want to be a part of this Christian community, then they need to actually adopt all the laws of Moses. In fact, it says this right in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Likewise, a little bit later on in, in, in verse 5, it says that some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the laws of Moses. And so there's this big debate because Paul and Barnabas, who'd been ministering to the Gentiles, said, no, they don't have to keep all those Old Testament laws. And then there are others who are saying, yes, they do. And so the question is, how did the church resolve this question? And what we see is we actually see three things that they do, which I think are very instructive for us today. The first thing that we see they do is they put God first. They put God first. You see, it says um, that in verse 6, the apostles and the elders, they met together to consider this question. And, and what, when you translate that, what that word consider means is that they were going to look intently at this question. But what I love is how they resolve it. They resolve it not by placing their own opinions first, but by asking, what has God told us and what has he shown us? You see, they had some pretty strong opinions. You had Paul and Barnabas saying, no, they don't have to obey the laws of Moses. You had the party of the Pharisees saying, yes, they do. But they all laid those opinions down at the feet of God. The first thing they did is they kind of considered, well, how is the Holy Spirit moving? And in verse 8, it says, you know, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. The Apostle Peter says, well, we know that God has embraced them because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them in the same way that he was poured out on us at Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit really seems to be on the move in the lives of Gentiles. The second thing is they considered what they knew about Jesus. I love how the Apostle Peter goes on and says this. He says, God did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. 
He says, Now then, why do we try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have had to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter thought about all the ways, all the times when he was walking and talking with Jesus. And what he saw in Jesus was how Jesus welcomed people. People that the religious establishment thought were on the fringe because they weren't behaving the right way. And, and then last but not least, what we see is they then turn to the word of God and they say, well, what is God revealed in his word? And I love what James says. He stands up in verse 15 and following and he says, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. James stands up and he says, well, not only is the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts, not only has Jesus called us to welcome them in, but even when we look at God's word in the scriptures, the scriptures tell us that we are to embrace and welcome in the Gentiles. And it's not on the basis of their obedience to the law of Moses. See, the first thing to being an open person is asking ourselves the question, are we really considering what God would have us do? Are we really considering what God would have us do? Because I think sometimes when it comes to, to welcoming people into our community, we place our own opinions first. And we start to think that, you know, people really need to look the way we do or talk the way we do or vote the way we do. And yes, I just went there. Can somebody give me an amen? We, we put our opinions first, the way that we prefer to do things rather than asking the question, but wait a second, what does God's word tell us? What has God in Jesus revealed to us? How, his Holy, how is his Holy Spirit at work in our midst? That's their first question. They surrender their opinions to that question. The second thing that they do that I think is important is they lead with grace. I want to go back for a second to, to verse 10 where the Apostle Peter says this. He says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. They lead with grace, not with law. They said it was God's grace and his mercy that welcomes us in, given to us through Jesus. And that's what's most important. Not their behavior, not trying to clean themselves up first, I mean, I've heard people say that. I've heard Christians say, well, we can't welcome them into the church because you have to repent first. You need to make a change in your life first. You need to do all these things first. But, but one of the things that, that is said over and over again, not just here, but in other parts of the scriptures, is that it's, it's not behave, then belong. It's belong, then believe. I love how Paul even says it in Romans chapter 2. He says, don't you know that the kindness of God is to lead us to repentance? That was in Romans 2, 4. Likewise, in Romans 5, 8, Paul says this. He says, this is how we know God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Over and over again, the church has said we are called to lead with grace. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I leading with grace? Or am I asking people to behave before they can belong? 
Am I saying that you need to dress a certain way or talk a certain way or live a certain way or, 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 or worship a certain way? Are we, are we erecting barriers that, that God doesn't erect, that Jesus himself didn't erect? but rather leading with grace and saying, you belong here, you are loved here, and through that, giving them a foretaste of what it means to truly know Jesus. That's the second thing that we're called to do, is to lead with grace. But then the third thing uh, that they do that I just absolutely love is they, they are willing to consider how their message is received by others. Because notice what they say afterwards. They, after really considering this question, James says this. He says, It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, this trips up a lot of people because they're like, well, wait a second, didn't they just say that they shouldn't obey the laws of Moses, that that wasn't a requirement? What, what's going on here? And, and I think the answer comes when we look really carefully at this text. The first thing James says is he says, we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He says, let's not lay all those laws on them because they're not required to keep those. It's by grace that they're saved through faith in Jesus. But then he turns to the Gentiles, these new Gentile believers, he's like, and likewise, you shouldn't put any barriers between Jewish people hearing the good news and coming to faith. That's really what he means in verse 21. He says, it's because the law of Moses is being preached in all these cities that we're going to. See, what he's saying is he's saying, we Jewish believers, we shouldn't place these barriers on, on the Gentiles coming to faith. But then the Gentiles, as they come to faith, were asking that they wouldn't throw up barriers to the Jews coming to faith. That we need to consider that things like sexual immorality and, and food sacrificed to idols and food with blood in it, they're, they're so culturally and religiously abhorrent to the Jews. If they see us as Christians rejoicing and reveling in all those things, it actually prevents them from hearing the good news too. You see, the assumption was that if you are a Christian, you considered very carefully how your behavior and your words either communicate the gospel or throw up barriers to it. And they said, we want everybody, Jew and Gentile, who's a part of the church, to consider how their message is received by the other person, to ask, how is this person viewing what I say and what I do? And, and how can I commend the good news to them? That's a question we don't often ask. We don't pause and say, you know, by me posting this on Facebook or on Instagram, is this commending the good news to other people? Or is it just showing them that Christians are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites or, or judgmental people? Or me talking this way, or talking about people who don't yet believe this way, is, is this making it harder for them to hear that Jesus loves them and desires to have a relationship with them? See, the church very carefully considered how what they did actually got in the way of their message or opened the door for good news. And we need to do likewise. We need to look at our lives and say, is how I'm living and how I'm talking opening a door for the good news or not? How is it being received by the people that I'm called to reach? These three things were so important for them answering the question, are we open or are we closed? Because to be an open person is first and foremost to consider what would God have us do first? Second, to ask the question, how can I lead with grace? And third, to ask the question, how is my behavior and my words either opening the door for the gospel or shutting it? How is it going to be received by other people? 
important questions for us and the reason I think the church asked these questions and the reason that we have to ask ourselves these questions is because honestly, this is how Jesus came to us. I mean, think about it. There was no greater division than that between God and human beings. God reigning on his throne in heaven and us living down here in the dirt. And yet God overcame that separation and opened the door to new life. God actually says in, in Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And yet, even with that reality, what did he do? Jesus, in obedience to his Father, entered into our world. He considered, Father, what would you have me do? And he came here. He said, not my will be done, but yours be done, Father. And he was willing to enter our world and go to a cross to die for us. He was obedient to his Father's will. Second, he led with grace. I just love how so many times Jesus encounters people that the rest of the religious society had given up on, and he encounters them with such gentleness and love. And it's as they experienced his love that they came to faith, they came to believe. And, and last but not least, he came in ways that we could understand. God didn't just shout at us from heaven, he became a human being. It says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, God became human in Jesus so that we could talk with him, walk with him, see his love and his care in action, and ultimately put our trust in him. You see, for us as a church, we believe we are called to look, live, and love more like Jesus. And so being an open church, being open people, means that we are indeed a people who consider God's heart, God's passion, God's mission first, His ways first. People who lead with grace and people who consider carefully how we can better communicate good news in both our words and our deeds. And so as we begin this series, as we think about our posture, I want to just remind us that we are called to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. May that be reflected in everything that we do so that a door would be opened for them to hear good news. It's in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord that we say, Amen.